Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor of the journal and personal finance professional magazines. In this episode, I'll be talking to Michael Frisbee and Melissa Collett. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about lessons from the FCA's business interruption ruling. We're joined by Michael Frisbee, partner at the Stevens and Bolton Law Firm, and Melissa Collett, Professional Standards Director at the Chartered Insurance Institute. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Michael and Melissa. Hello, Michael, and hello, Melissa, and thank you for joining us today on CII Radio. Hello, Luke. Thanks very much for having me. Hello, Luke. Thank you very much for joining us. So perhaps, Michael, if we could start with you. Now, the Financial Conduct Authority's business interruption test case has been massively under the spotlight in the last few months and is seen as a a very significant case. But for anyone not completely up to speed, can you give us a, a bit of an overview of the case and and what the ruling has brought about. Sure. Well, there was a a case heard in the summer. A judgment was issued uh, in the middle of September, and it took some test cases based upon wordings that was considered to be prevalent in the industry. And the the idea was that there was a dispute about coverage uh, of BI claims responding to the pandemic. And the FCA had taken action to try and bring some clarity to the law. Insurers joined in. There were about eight insurers, I think, who took part in the action. And there were some interveners as well. So that the idea was that the court would determine a number of principles relating to business interruption insurance so that those principles could then be applied across the market and just try and bring some clarity and hopefully lead to resolution of disputes under individual policies speedily. So the issues that they covered were essentially there were two types of of policy wording that they were looking at. There were the disease clauses and prevention of access clauses in various policies. Essentially, they found that the disease clauses, by and large, did respond, depending upon the wording. The prevention of access clauses were a little more difficult, and a lot of those didn't respond. They also looked at trends clauses. So that is it's effectively a clause which deals with causation. In other words, if you are covered, what factors are taken into account to determine the loss that the insured has suffered? There was comment made upon a particular case. It's called the Orient Express case that's been around for a little while and hasn't been examined uh, judicially for a while. If I tell you a little bit about that, just to put it in context, that was a case that had sprung out of the hurricanes in New Orleans. And there was a, a hotel that had been damaged by the hurricane. And the question was whether or not the uh, policy wording in that dispute responded. It did. The damage caused by the hurricane to the hotel was insured. And the question was, in relation to the business interruption 
element of the policy, how would you calculate what the interruption to the business was? It was said on behalf of insurers, well, look, uh, the hotel was damaged, even if it hadn't been damaged, there was a hurricane affecting the whole area and nobody was going there. So you wouldn't have had any guests and therefore your losses are going to be pretty minimal. And that worked in that case. That was discussed in the test case. And although distinguished, in other words, the court said it's not directly relevant here, they doubted that that was right as a principle. And so looking at the trends clauses that did arise in the case, they said that you just you take out from the consideration of the counterfactual and calculating loss, you take out altogether the effect of that uh, of that insured event. So that's quite interesting. The result is that for the I think six of the insurers are now involved in appeals and the appeals are being leapfrogged to the Supreme Court and due to be heard next week. So uh, it's all happening rather rather speedily. And obviously, you know, we can't be certain of any, any outcome, but what could we possibly expect from the case going forward? And as you, you mentioned, uh, the subsequent appeals that are now being actioned. Okay, well, I, th- I think... The Supreme Court will hear it next week. It's That's the highest court in the land. So there will be no appeals beyond the Supreme Court's determination, and that will bring some finality to the issues at large. Quite how long it'll take for them to give judgment after the hearing, I don't know, but it's, I suspect it's going to be pretty quick. And once that happens, you've got reasonably settled law on all the relevant issues. That'll then be applied across the board. Uh, My understanding is that insurers are waiting for the outcome of the appeal. And so once it's all determined, they'll um, be looking to settle individual policies, one would think. Okay. And beyond that, I mean, what do you feel the the impact will be longer term on business interruption policy wordings? Well, I I suspect that insurers will look carefully at their policy wordings, take account of their experience with the pandemic and be looking to tighten up wordings and uh, make sure that the risk that they're writing is the one that they expect to be writing. Uh, going forward. Absolutely. Melissa, what kind of reaction have the CII had from its members regarding the case? And, and has this had an impact on trust and insurance, do you think? Yes, Luke. Unfortunately, I think it has had a negative impact. In terms of our members, from a practitioner point of view, the CII did a survey of its members and two thirds of the professionals uh, who responded said that the business interruption case has reduced trust in the sector. I think it's also damaged the perception of the sector in the eyes of journalists. You only have to look at the the widespread negative coverage. I even saw an article over the weekend in the Sunday Times where business interruption, travel insurance, and, and even income protection insurance were singled out for particular criticism for not paying claims. And I also think it's damaged the perception of the sector by the government as well. So I think that For me, this raises really the wider issue of transparency across all insurance policies. And it's about that mismatch of expectations between what customers think is covered 
and what insurance think is covered under the policy. And this is a really old problem. And this mismatch is actually borne out by the CII's own trust index research. And this research is based on surveys of a thousand consumers and small business owners. It takes place uh, on a regular basis. And uh, since this whole issue and test case has arisen, the measures show that the concept of transparency has one of the biggest opportunity scores when it comes to improving the levels of trust. What do I mean by that? What it means is that if insurers were able to improve transparency around cover, then it would lead to much greater trust scores. So there's a sort of opening, a window of opportunity for, for insurance there. I wonder if I could just add to that, Luke, because I agree and understand what Melissa is saying about the, um, the mismatch of expectations that's arisen here. I think that's absolutely right. But I would, I would say that I think the the FCA have acted very well in this situation. You have that um, mismatch that Melissa was talking about arising in March when the pandemic hit. You had a lot of policyholders who uh, SMEs, who small businesses, who were struggling in light of the pandemic and looking to see whatever recourse they might have, whatever coverage they might have, making claims, insurers saying, sorry, we don't think that um, you're covered here. And then what do you do? Well, ordinarily for an insured in that position, they've got a couple of options. They could take legal proceedings or they could pursue a claim through the financial ombudsman. Either way, the insured is looking at a delay in in getting their dispute resolved one way or the other. If you take legal proceedings, it's going to take a year, could take longer. If you go to the ombudsman, there are financial limits, obviously, so it's only the very sort of smaller section of, of insureds that might be covered and relatively low value claims. And there's going to be some delay. Well, what happened here was that the FCA stepped in. There'd been, there was the mismatch in expectations between insured and insurer. And of course, don't forget the Chancellor of the Exchequer had made some comments encouraging businesses to think that they were covered in March. So it was quite a, a difficult situation. And what the FCA have done here is to use the new financial list of the commercial court to bring a, a market test case and To ordinary people, it may sound as if it took a little while, but they commenced proceedings at the beginning of June this year. They had a hearing by the end of July and a judgment given by the middle of September. Now, that is very fast in legal terms. And the judgment was given by two judges sitting in the financial list. One was a court of appeal judge and the other was a commercial court judge. So, that tribunal is of higher standing than a normal first instance commercial court tribunal, uh, which gives it added weight. And we've also seen, as I've already mentioned, the appeal is going straight to the Supreme Court. So it's leapfrogging the Court of Appeal to get a termination by the highest court in the land. And that's going to be heard next week. So in legal terms, this is really, really fast. So if if an insured uh, 
needs to take action themselves, of course. They're taking risks if they take litigation on, because even if they succeed, there's an irrecoverable cost. What the FCA have done by taking action is to remove the cost risk from the particular insured, so they benefit from a judicial investigation into the policy wording but it doesn't cost them anything. They do it without cost risk. So it's been of service to insureds, even if they've not been successful. And I think that the FCA should be commended, together with the insurers who've worked with the FCA, to just try and deal with the uh, uncertainty in the market, the honestly held differences of opinion between insureds and insurers. And I think it's for the benefit of the market in general. So, yes, yeah, certainly, potentially damaging in terms of public trust in insurance in the future, but also potentially positive in terms of highlighting that expectation gap that exists in insurance for consumers and assuring that action was taken quickly and and that transparency of cover continues to be at the centre of, of policy wording, certainly. Melissa, what do you think this case has highlighted for insurance professionals in terms of ethics and the way they work and the way that insurance is written and, and sold? Yes, I think It's worth remembering that one of the core principles in the CII's code of ethics, which is binding on all of its members, is acting in your customer's best interests. And this principle of acting in your customer's best interests is actually mirrored nowadays in in FCA regulation following the introduction of the insurance distribution directive. So what to me this means, amongst other things, ensuring that your customer understands the cover that they're buying and then it meets their needs. But I hear what Michael has to say about how well the FCA is the regulator and the insurers involved have handled the uncertainty surrounding the case. And, and, I, and I do agree with him there. But I think, you know, looking at this issue in the round, historically, this insurance sector has struggled to make its policy documents really accessible to the average, you know, let alone a vulnerable customer. And I would include small businesses, you know, in, when I'm talking about the average customer as well, because of, of course, we know a lot of small businesses were involved in this particular case. I mean, just taking an example, some policy wordings are longer than Animal Farm in 1984 put together. So you'd have to read, you know, the length of two books to really get through and understand what your insurance was really about. It's something that really needs to be tackled. And and that's why the CII recently set up the Chartered Transparency Forum. And, And it's really to bring together consumer representatives, legal experts, as well as leading practitioners from across the profession to look at the issue of transparency through the lens of the CII's code of ethics. Absolutely, Melissa. So could you tell us a little bit more about the detail of what the forum will be looking at and some of the work they'll be doing this year and, yeah, and going so into 2021? Yeah, formed a few months ago, so over the summer really, and it's been developing new guidance for individual professionals to apply when they're designing, explaining, and interpreting a policy for a customer. And one of our proposals is that all policy documents strive for a reading age of 13 or younger. That way, a majority of the UK adult population will at least be able to read 
their policy document. It also recommends better use of uh, design, including fonts, color, graphics, even animations, to really bring the policy to life. It sounds like some very important and also very practical guidance on how these matters can be highlighted and and addressed going forward, certainly. So we look forward and encourage listeners to find out more about the Chartered Transparency Forum. And you can certainly do that through the the CIR website. So if I could ask you both, do you have any final thoughts on on the lessons which insurers will take from this FCA case and the matters that it's it's shone a light on? Michael? Well, I I think this is quite unusual it's uh, an unusual event that's given given rise to the problems in the marketplace i suspect that it will cause the industry to um, think a little harder in in future in potential areas of dispute and i suspect that we might see that the fca exercising a little bit more control and looking more closely at particular classes of business to avoid these sorts of problems in future yes, absolutely I, I think um, really Melissa? some key takeaways would be for the sec to focus on improving the transparency like we've been discussing so that people can actually compare, understand first, and then be able to compare words and phrases that are used across different contracts. That's clearly been an issue in in this particular case. Also improving the the process for buying insurance, whether it's advised or non-advised, so people can really understand what are they insuring, what risks are, are insurable, and which ones aren't. And finally, really getting an approach for the future, should an event like this happen again, I think it's really a great opportunity for the sector to work with the government to define its approach to systemic risks going forward. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Michael. And thank you, Melissa, very much for speaking to us today. Obviously, it's a hugely important topic, and I'm sure we'll see some significant developments going forward as well. So um, thank you very much for joining us today on CII Radio. Thank you. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio.